Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. What's up, folks? Welcome to the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. Y'all aren't going to believe this, but this is actually a pre-hunt episode. I, after this episode launches, will be headed to Nebraska for my first whitetail deer hunt of the year. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, I got to talk about what I did over the last weekend. Before I get to all that, I got to throw out a quick disclaimer. I have my one-year-old daughter here with me because I couldn't get a babysitter tonight. So if you hear any uh, crying, laughing, odd, random noises, that's probably her. I'm feeding her rich crackers as we go, but, you know, when she runs out of crackers, she can get a little hangry. So anyway, just want to let y'all know. She's okay, I promise. Uh, So yeah, back to what we're talking about. It is early season whitetail time. We have an awesome episode. Uh, I'll go ahead and throw it out there right now. We are talking to Chris Hammond. He uh, shoots from Matthews. He's an avid whitetail deer hunter, a native Oklahoman. And we had Chris on last year, and uh, he had did, or excuse me, had done a Kentucky velvet hunt and was successful. And I had just gotten home from my uh, Nebraska hunt last year where I was unsuccessful. So had him on, had a really good time kind of talking about, uh, you know, ideas and, and successes and failures and everything. And so he came to mind a few weeks ago as I was getting ready for my Nebraska hunt. And come to find out, not only is he going back to Kentucky, he's also doing Tennessee's early velvet hunt and then and then going to Kentucky. And then after that, also going to Wyoming on a mule deer hunt. And so, uh, yeah, I got all those states confused while we were recording because he's going to so many states and I'm going to a different state. But it was a really cool uh, conversation. We talked about you know, bed to food patterns, water, all that good stuff. And so really, really fun episode there. Um, but before I kind of get to my Nebraska intro, uh, well, sorry, one other quick announcement. Um, the schedule of all this is going to be a little bit weird because just kind of how my episodes come out, you know, they come out on Monday, so I have to have them you know recorded and edited before that. Um, but this hunt that I'm going on, I'll be hunting all through the weekend and, you know, at the earliest I'll be coming home Monday, might still be hunting on Monday. And so even though this is like my pre-hunt episode, there will be another episode between this episode and when I actually talk about that hunt. And so, yeah, so this is my pre-hunt episode. We'll have another episode that has nothing to do with Nebraska and then we'll have my kind of post-hunt breakdown. So just want to give y'all a heads up. If y'all tune in next week, all excited about uh, to hear about my hunt, not going to happen yet. Just kind of, like I said, because of the way everything works out. So, so yeah, before I get to my Nebraska stuff, I do want to touch on what I did this last weekend. Uh, went up to the ranch and kind of had my last big work-type weekend. So I made a list on my phone. I laid out all my different spots, what I need to do at each spot, the things I need to bring for all that work, and did a pretty pretty darn good job. So I brought a weed eater. I bought one of those saw blades. I think I paid like 22 bucks for it. And so I went around to all my different locations and weeded all the feeder pins. The goat weeds just drove me nuts last year because even after even after like everything dies, even after the the feeders have been running and um, you know the deer kind of knocked down all the vegetation, 
those goat weeds are just strong enough that they they just don't go away. And so, uh, yeah, I, I weeded around all the feeders um, where I had ground blinds. I kind of weeded a little like teardrop shaped thing, like kind of going up to the blind, just so I had a clear shot. Um, because that was honestly a, a small reason I didn't do quite as much hunting with my longbow last year was not necessarily that I was afraid the goat weeds would like deflect my arrow, but I just didn't have very good visibility and being a new traditional archer, I just needed every advantage I could get. And so I didn't want to try to be like guessing where I was aiming, where I'm already somewhat guessing where I'm aiming because I don't have sights. And so kind of took care of that problem. Um, trimmed up some shooting lanes. I checked all the motors and the feeders and, you know, I hadn't filled them yet, but I checked all the motors to make sure they're good. Um, one kind of frustrating thing at the very end, I was working on my last spot. I'd already done all the weeding and everything. It was like one o'clock. Uh, it hit like one six this day while I was out there. And, uh, so the last thing I had to do was change the motor on this feeder that I had checked last time I was up there. And so I pulled up the housing and everything off. Um, I'm undoing the spinner plate that you have to do so you can take the actual motor out. I already had all the, you know, battery and everything else unhooked. And so I undo the screw that holds it in place and I'm trying to pry that spinner plate off the motor and it breaks. Like the little weld in the center came undone. So I had brought everything else. I had brought, uh, you know, all the stuff for the weed eater. I had brought zip ties. Uh, oh, I also like put an antenna up for one of my cell cams where I had bad, bad reception, used a piece of 10 foot conduit. I had brought all that stuff. Uh, I had straps, like I replaced a bunch of straps on some of my tree stands and everything. Literally the last thing I was trying to do. And I broke that spinner plate. So I got the motor switched out and everything, but technically that, feeder is still not ready to go because I had to order a spinner plate. I was looking around the shop and everything. I had a couple old motors there, but I just didn't have spinner plates on them. I guess I'd already stole them. So I went ahead and ordered like four because it just seems like I'm always breaking those suckers, trying to get them off. You know, they kind of get rusted on there when they're on for a couple years. So, so yeah. Uh, the, the other thing that I didn't get done that I was kind of hoping to was I did not get my my actual blinds situated, like my tower blinds. I had one that had blown over in a storm and I had another that the cattle had pushed the legs out. So it's real uneven. So like you, you know, if you're trying to shoot a rifle out of it, uh, it just wouldn't work because the window would be too low. Um, but the, the tractor that I needed to, to do that with was at the other property. By the time I got done with everything and I was sweating so much, I just, didn't really feel like or have time to to road the tractor all the way over there do everything and then road it back because uh, I always like to leave stuff where I found it just to help my you know brother and dad out so so that I didn't get done but I'm not too awful worried about it because I still need to plant all my food plots it's just too early too hot and too dry to do it now and so you know I'll, I'll be driving all over the place with the drill anyway so i'll just you know i'll have the the tractor with the forks and stuff and i can set it up and and level and do all that stuff when i'm planting food plots so so not the end of the world on that and you know other than filling my feeders which i got to figure out when on earth i'm going to do that and planting my food plots pretty much everything else is like 100% ready to go, which is an incredible feeling. I feel like I'm always behind the ball. I always have a few things that I, you know, haven't gotten done by opening day, but I'm in pretty darn good shape. And like I said, that's a pretty darn good feeling. So, 
So yeah, so that's what's been going on in Oklahoma. Um, as far as this Nebraska trip, y'all are probably sick of hearing me talk about it, but uh, I'm going to talk about it one more time because it's finally here. So the official plan is uh, I'm picking my mom up early Thursday morning. We're going to drive up there. It's about a nine or 10 hour drive. We'll have my daughter too. So it may take us you know, a, little, a few extra stops. She's sitting in my lap right now. Um, but I'm hoping to get up there in time to you know, give my sister a hug let my mom and daughter out at the house, and then run to a little bit of glassing before dark. Uh, so that's the goal. And then the next morning, Friday, will be opening day. I don't think I'm going to hunt Friday morning. I think I'm going to use that time to do some more scouting, to drive some roads, uh, glass. Uh, I have three cameras that have been soaking since turkey season. So, you know, late morning after everything's kind of bedded down, I'll probably go check those see what's up, you know, see if there's any good bucks around. Um, you know, I have permission on a couple different properties. And so if the cameras aren't looking good, I might just go hunt blind somewhere else. If there's some decent, excuse me, if there's some decent bucks on camera, obviously I'll stick around. I have a few kind of, I don't have any preset stands. I didn't hang any stands this spring, but I did mark some trees that I can just, you know, walk up to hang in and feel pretty confident. And so, so yeah, there's that. I feel like I'm missing something. Um, like I said, I'll get to hunt Friday, Saturday, Sunday for sure. If I need to, I can hunt Monday. Uh, my mom needs to be back by like noon on Tuesday. And so I told her, you know, worst case, I'll hunt Monday evening and we'll just load up and leave and, you know, stop somewhere on the way back, um, somewhere safe where I don't get my truck stolen. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that's the plan. Very, very excited. Feeling a little bit more confident than last year. Still going to be a shot in the dark, if I'm being honest. Um, but very, very excited for this trip. So, so yeah, that's that. Like I mentioned, this week we're talking to Chris Hammond. Really cool guy. Um, lots of hunting experience. Lots of archery experience. I don't remember if I said it at the beginning or not, but he uh, he shoots professionally for Matthews. And so he's good buddies with Levi Morgan and all those other uh, really awesome archers who, yes, they're professional archers, but they also just really love to hunt. All those guys are super passionate, as I've you know been finding out since I've been talking to Chris. So, so yeah, that's the plan for this week. Wish me luck. Follow me on Instagram because I'll be doing lots of updates, and that's all I got for you. So we're going to get into the episode after a quick word from our partners, which is going to come right about now. There is truly no place like the great outdoors in Oklahoma. When you're out in the wild, you want your wireless devices to work. Unlike other carriers, Bravado Wireless believes that coverage in rural areas is important so that you stay connected. With competitively priced plans and coverage where you need it, the mission of Bravado Wireless is to keep you connected no matter where you are. Visit bravadowireless.com or check them out at one of their retail locations. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection. Hey everybody, welcome to today's show and today we got our old friend Mr. Chris Hammond. How you doing Chris? I'm doing well John, how are you buddy? Man, I'm doing good. I uh, I was thinking to myself before we started recording, uh, I always know that the time is getting close when I suddenly go from like really struggling to come up with content over the summer to suddenly having you know more episodes that I want to get out than I have time to get out. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. So, uh, so yeah, I, I reached out to you, um, God, I don't know, maybe two weeks ago or something. And kind of what brought you to my mind was last year, 
Uh, we talked because uh, I went to Nebraska early, and I think you went to Tennessee early, and we had you on after that hunt. And so I, uh, I reached out and asked if you were doing that hunt again, and you explained that not only were you doing that hunt, but you added a couple other early season hunts. And so I said, man, that is definitely worth podcasting about. So... So that's what we're going to be talking about today, Uh, but real quick, before we get ahead of ourselves, just in case uh, somebody missed the other episodes you've been on, why don't you do a quick little introduction? Uh, Yeah, so my name is Chris Hammond from Norman, Oklahoma, Um, avid bow hunter, Uh, that's my passion, that's it for me, if I had to quit all the other things and just focus on bow hunting, you would not have to force me to do that, (laughs) I would do it yesterday, Uh, but I shoot uh, I shoot professional archery. Um, as far as the couple of companies I shoot for, uh, Matthews Archery, uh, True Ball Excel, Gold Tip Arrows, Hamsky, um, Arrow Rest, or Archery Solutions, and then uh, Tack Veins and Schwacker Broadheads. But uh, yeah, I think that covers it. Um, had a little bit of success shooting tournament archery, um, not as much as I would like, but. Yeah, that's it. Outside of archery, I uh, work a whole bunch of hours, uh, Monday through Friday, sometimes Saturday, and then I play football, baseball, and basketball coach for my boy. My daughter's full-time soccer and gymnastics, so we don't ever stop. Man, that is that is quite the schedule. I, I'm not quite there yet. You know, My daughter just turned one about a month ago, a month and a half ago. Uh, and you know, guys, guys I work with, they talk about like every, every Monday is always like a big, uh, coaches meeting because they all had baseball games all weekend and everything. And they're kind of comparing notes and, uh, but yeah, I'm sure that day is coming. So, oh yeah, it's awesome. I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, uh, we have a ton to cover, and so we're just going to go ahead and dive right in. So I kind of mentioned it already. Um, I'll be headed to Nebraska here in a few weeks, and you have multiple hunts. And so I just want to talk some early season whitetails. And so I think to kick us off, why don't you just kind of tell everybody a little bit of what you got going over the next couple weeks? Yeah, so like you mentioned, uh, just the the states were just a little off. Last year was my first year hunting Kentucky in their early season. Oh, that's with, right. Yeah, with their season opening, the, you know, the the first Saturday of September, it gives you what I consider the rare opportunity to hunt whitetails and velvet. I know Nebraska has the opportunity, um, and then Tennessee and some of the, the states further north and to the east. Um, and hopefully we get to experience that here in Oklahoma next year. Um I'm a big fan after doing it one time. Uh, but I was such a big fan of it that I'm now going to uh, go to Tennessee. They have a special velvet season, and that's what they call it. Uh, it's an early archery velvet season that's three days long. It'll be the just so it'll be Friday, I believe is the 25th, 26th, and 27th. If I'm off a day there, you have to bear with me. But uh, no, that's the right dates so we out there in tennessee my first time ever um got a pretty cool location there it's a big farm but it's really it's basically right outside of a very well populated area um gonna do that uh kind of a turn and burn hunt i'll i'll get out there and i this early season i strictly hunt evenings 
Um, the only way I could hunt the mornings um, and feel okay about it is, I guess, in this scenario where I only have three days and the entire, you know, that, that whole season is only three days. Um, and in that case, what I'll be trying to do is get between them, between their food and their bedding. Um, but right now, the number one goal is to catch them going out to these bean fields. So that's the goal there. But uh, after we kill our buck in Tennessee, I'm trying to speak that into existence. Confidence, I like it. Yeah, I'll then go to Kentucky the very next weekend. So their season opens on the second. Uh, new place, never been to before. Um, same thing, uh, beans, and then there's some alfalfa on this farm. And then I will come home, and I will work on the fifth. And then me and my buddy Scott will jump in our truck. And we will go meet the whole like bow life crew up in Wyoming, where we are doing a hunt from the sixth or the twelfth up in uh, north central northeastern Wyoming. Uh, we'll be hunting mule deer, and I believe Levi drew a pretty awesome elk tag, so pretty excited mm-hmm. there. Uh, right now, what I've told everybody is I'm going to shoot the first four corn I see and just follow <laughs> Levi around chasing elk. So. Yeah. We'll see. we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. Yeah, that is a lot in a short amount of time. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. It's uh, the most I've done this early and that back-to-back-to-back. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So now when you – I'm trying to keep all these straight – these states straight now. Uh, oh, yeah, when I you go that. to your, your, your second trip in Kentucky – you said that was a a new farm, so I assume that's a different place than you went last year then? Yes, yeah, different place than last year. Uh, wasn't able to hook everything up with uh, the awesome folks I hunted with last year with the Dodds. Uh, just they went on a, man, what I would consider a once-in-a-lifetime trip to Africa for a, mm. a long time. Time is why I say once in a lifetime. But they went out there. The family looked freaking awesome. So the last thing I wanted to do was, you know, bother them or anything like that with coming out last second. Um, so fortunately enough, I was able to get in on another spot, and I'm excited to see how it goes. Um, more ag land um, and just the same approach of catching these deer heading, coming to and from food from their bedding. Like we're keying in on where is their bedding areas their first option, their second option. And yeah, all in all, what I'm going to focus on, um, anytime there's a red moon, definitely going to hunt. Um, but I'm also, I mean, we're still going to hunt when there's not a red moon, but that's the, that's Mm -hmm. the tactic, you know, as far as just surface level. Yeah. All right. Well, let's take these one at a time. So let's start in Tennessee and, uh, that's a hunt they've been doing, I know, for several years now, one that I've always been jealous of, always kind of wanted to, to go do. Um, so, I mean, that's super early. So you're, you're still in August, yeah. correct? Yeah, that's uh, next, well, yeah. depending on when you release this. Uh, for me, that's next. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, which oh, is yeah. awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. That. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, one thing that, is different for me going into my early season hunt last year. I had never really stepped foot on the ground that I was going to be hunting. And, you know, I have some, my sister's there, but my sister's not really a hunter, especially a bow hunter. So even though I had somebody there and I had access to this private ground, I basically had zero help, you know, going into that mm-hmm. hunt. 
Um, where you're going in Tennessee, like, is there a buddy there? Did you just happen to find this place? Uh, talk about kind of the, the connection and, um, I guess how much knowledge you have going into them. Yeah. So, uh, completely random with my company, we just went through, um, a regrouping slash restructure to where my location became part of our Dallas region. And on one of the first calls we did on teams, I noticed the background on one of the other the other guys on there and I noticed like the week after that someone made a comment and they're like hey you know isn't that your farm and I was like wait a second (laughs) after when he said that Um, (laughs) so we actually got to work on a couple projects together and turns out he had uh, at one point he had 4,000 acres in Tennessee that Mm. is all ag land except for a thousand acres of it that he grazed and ran a cattle operation on Um, and they've never hunted it, deer all over it, everything. Um, so, you know, hit it off with him, and he's got a ranch hand that runs everything. So what I did was I boxed up one of my reveal cameras and shipped it out there and did a whole bunch of just virtual scouting on Onyx and just different things mm-hmm. with Google Earth and found what I felt like was a pretty good pinch point with good access that I could get in and out of without blowing everything off of these bean fields. Um, so I dropped a pin there. He went out there, strapped the camera and the solar panel up to a tree. And, man, I got pictures, I think. So that was in the middle of the day, and I, went, I got pictures about midnight that night. And then now I've got a good idea that they are using that pinch point going in and out. Um What's creating the pinch point is it looks like it's some really thick cover that like goes up to a creek edge, um, but the bean field mm-hmm. feeds down to it, comes to a point, and then it appears to be tall grass that feeds into a thicket that's kind of on this island. Uh, I say an island. Mm-hmm. It's just surrounded by some ditches and stuff like that, um, but there's definitely some deer bedding in there going back and forth. And from what I can tell is it does look like there's one deer that I would shoot. Um, so we're going to, mm-hmm. we're going to try to make a play on him. I'm hunting out of the saddle, uh, probably exclusively this year, unless I'm on the ground. Um, uh, there's just so much flexibility with the saddle setup that if I need to make a change right then I can make a change. Um, uh, so that's the plan going in. So I'm, I'm going in a little bit blind, but I've done a bunch of, bunch of research, online and then luckily i've got the the ranch hand there to help me out with that yeah that's awesome <laughs> you're talking about the ranch hand that reminds me one year when i was in college uh we just bought our our first place that we had and i, I tried to do that with my dad like i sent him a camera because you know, i was yeah. at school and stuff and he tried to put it out for me and and, and it wasn't a cell camera this is before those got super popular it was just old school camera and, and so I'm like anxiously awaiting. I finally get to come home for Thanksgiving break and I go up to the camera and it's like, I wouldn't say it's directly at the sky, but it's, it's pretty darn up, you know, facing pretty yeah. high. And, uh, so I'm checking, I'm checking the pictures and it's mostly like treetops and stuff. But then I did, I don't, this buck must've walked within inches of this camera. I got a picture and I think you could just see the top of like three tines of a, like it had to have been a huge <laughs> buck. Um, it was probably two weeks before I got home, but it was like, it was, the, it was almost worse than not having the picture at all 
because I didn't know exactly what he was. Like, I'm pretty sure he was big, but I didn't know he was big. I was like, I don't know if that's the first time he walked by that camera, if he walked by it every day, and it, it like, tore me up. And so I never tried to do that again, because I think it was more torture having, like, a little bit of intel than a lot of intel. But anyway, very, very random story that has nothing to do with any of this. No, I get it. This camera, uh, believe it or not, is probably I'm, I'm six foot one, and it's probably eye height based off of the angle. <laughs> so he hung high. Yeah, I guess he was the grass yeah. getting in the way. Yeah, maybe so, maybe so. But, well, uh, that made me think of two questions, or one kind of statement, one question. Uh, first, on the saddle, um, man, I I had been wanting to get a saddle so bad this year uh, because yeah, I think I mentioned I, I drew Iowa also. Oh, yeah. I'm going to Nebraska, and then I, you know, I'm usually hunting Texas and Oklahoma as well. Um, but I just, I just never really found the one I wanted. I had one picked out, and it was sold out forever. And and then I, I basically just never end up getting one. Uh, but a good buddy of mine, uh, just two weeks ago, he's like, "Hey, he's like, I have a saddle. I'm not going to need it till October. If you want to take it to Nebraska, you can." So I met up with him, got the saddle. Um, but with <laughs> how hot it is and how busy, I've not actually used it yet. I put it on like inside the house one okay. time, but I've yet to actually like climb a tree and, you know, kind of play with it. And so, um, that is definitely my goal for the next two weeks is to, to get more comfortable with it. Um, I still obviously have my stand, but I, I do think it would be helpful if I could get to use that saddle. Um, but I'm, I'm getting a little worried that I'm just so late to the game that, I'm just worried I'm not going to have time to get comfortable with it. What do you think? Is it something like if I, if I dedicated, you know, an hour or two and really, you know, messed with it and climbed up and down a couple of times, do you think I could get comfortable? Oh pretty yeah. Quick? I mean, the, look, the climbing up and down, if you've ever used just like a uh, lineman's rope or anything like that, you'll be fine. Um, I recommend it. I would, it's worth you allocating the time to spend, just getting, getting mm-hmm. familiar with it. Um, if it has pockets, I don't know if it has pockets, but just like how you're going to keep your ropes mm-hmm. and all of that. So like whether you have a, a bridge, a tether, stuff like that, how are you going to use it? Which pocket is it in? Because the more you do it, so for your first time, you're going to be like, okay, that's not that bad. And your second time, you're going to be like, oh, that was easier. Then your third time, you're going to be like, why did I mm-hmm. waste all my money on all those expensive tree stands? Um, it's, yeah. it's it. Um, yeah. You can – there's so much versatility. But I guess I should say that about the tree stands. I've got a really good buddy, Hunter Hogan, out in Missouri. He uses the Lone Wolf, I believe, the .5 um, stand mm-hmm. and a couple sticks. He uses that stand as his platform because he likes to still be able to sit down, mm. um, you know, on yeah. a stool-type seat. So he'll use that. The .5 is tiny. Um, it's just a bigger mm-hmm. platform, but it has a seat. So I recommend, you know, without a doubt, spend some time getting used to it. And you don't even have to go that high. Just mm-hmm. throw, throw one yeah. stick on a tree, climb up there, get your platform set, stand on it, get it set, you know, and then I would shoot out of it a couple times. Um, that was probably my mm-hmm. biggest learning curve was just getting comfortable with that. Um, I do feel like you get a lot of shooting angles, um, but I would – I would then spend time, like I guess my favorite way to shoot out of the out of the saddle is actually standing on the platform, facing the tree and shooting to my left because I'm right-handed. Um, I could come to full right. draw, I'm standing straight up, everything's good. Um, but then 
if you need to, while at full draw, you can just sit back with your saddle and then it'll take your weight and then you can move around trees and all that stuff. So you have that much more versatility. So yeah, it's, it's definitely worth it. And if you haven't looked into it, but they, they make some cable aiders, like some aim steel cable aiders that you can do a single step, a double step. I think they might even make a triple step. And what you do is you throw those on the hmm. bottom of your stick and now you, your one stick you can get, you know, eight feet high with. So it's, I mean, it's going to be tough to strap that high, but if you ran two sticks, you definitely could get higher. I personally, yeah. I've got okay. two with two that have two cableators on them that are just two steps. Mm. Gotcha. Yeah, like I said, I've I've been convinced for a while that I need to get one. I just just haven't. So no excuse, yeah. no excuse. All right. And then my other question, which I know you you do have a camera going, so you have a little bit of intel. But it sounds like you know this is a, a pretty big farm, and you know only one camera. One thing that I, I really struggled with it last year, going in so blind. This year, I feel like I have a little bit more. You know, I've at least done some scouting. I have three cameras soaking that have been soaking since this spring, so I'll have a little bit more intel. But just kind of figuring out, like, your standard, you know, what you're willing to shoot or not shoot. And this is something that I'm really tearing myself up about with my Iowa trip. Um, but just on all these travel trips, when you're going one place to other, especially this one, you only got three days. Uh, how do you kind of adjust your goals um, just when it comes to the buck you're actually willing to I was to just shoot? talking to, uh, about this yesterday with my buddy. And, man, Tennessee is just not known for giants. Obviously, there's big deer everywhere. Um, and I've seen with the bow hunting league that, I mean, heck, they've had a couple, you know, 170-inch deer killed. I think two over 150 in the velvet season. Um, but one of the guys, it was an amazing deer. He shot it with a, with a Black Widow, a recurve. The thing was a giant, beautiful, typical deer. But, um, dude, with me and filming, um, I don't know that my standards are going to be like they are back home. Uh, or if I had an Iowa tag mm-hmm. that I've spent how many years trying to draw? Uh, five yeah. points plus a year that I missed. Yeah. So this is like seven years. Yeah, in the I don't think you roll <laughs> up there and shoot the first 130 inch deer that walks by. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, but Tennessee, um, if he's mature and he's 130 inches, he's getting it. Um, I yeah. will, and look, I'm still new to this velvet. So to me, I look at the velvet deer differently than I do, you know, just our normal everyday hardhorn deer. Um, right. and I think it's right. funny because I've got several friends, like my buddy Art Brown, he, he's not a velvet guy. He doesn't like them fuzzy. He's like, I want them hard horned. He said, I think they look better and all that. But I'm like, man, I'm the total opposite. Like, it's new to me. Uh, mm-hmm. It's giving me, giving me a little yeah. bit more fire. But uh, right now, I just said, I was like, man, the first probably, you know, first mature buck that's in full velvet uh, will probably leave with two holes in him. Um, so I'm not too terribly picky there. Um, a lot of people that know me know that I, with Oklahoma having two tags, I normally try to make that first tag, you know, an older, well, I've got, I normally have a couple of really old deer that I target, um, but I'll shoot, dude, I've got a couple mm-hmm. seven pointers on the wall that probably score mid twenties to high thirties. One of them is pretty big, mm-hmm. um, but I'll shoot yeah. an old eight pointer all day, every day. And then, and then wait with my second tag. Um, right. but out there, I think right. I'll, I'll shoot the first uh, good buck. That's it's mature. I can't bring myself to shoot a three-year-old or a four-year-old. I just, I 
canned. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's my struggle because you know at home you know I've I've passed some one forties four year olds and you know some nice deer yep. and everything and it's but it's just it's a little easier uh, you know knowing that you'll have a shot at them again the next year but but man if I'm up there in Nebraska in a, in a good looking three year old I don't know I like I'm just being honest like I think I'm going to be pretty tempted because I I don't have a velvet one under my belt yet you know it'd be my first one and so. I don't know. Granted, you know, I do kind of have, you know, it's my, my sister's family's land. And so, you know, that buck theoretically would be there the next year, right. but, um, man, I don't, well, that's, it's, it's the mental it battle. It is a mental I, battle. Um, and I mean, if you, if you had me bet, I bet that you're probably going to smoke that first one that comes through, right? but it's okay. <laughs> right. That's okay. And I think that's yeah. where mm-hmm. I think we get a little lost as, hunters especially if you everybody likes mm-hmm. to label them trophy hunters uh i'm a trophy hunter with my second tag if you will but mm-hmm. i think these these yeah. freaking giant old goofy mature bucks are just as cool if not cooler and harder to kill sometimes um so i get mm-hmm. i love it um but uh what i do know is each and every one of us are just in different places you know, when it comes to where we're at with mm-hmm. the bow hunting and just how many deer we've been able to hunt or even the properties we've been able to hunt. I know people that have only hunted a couple of years and they're not shooting anything over or under 150, but they've been blessed mm-hmm. with, you know, amazing dirt. Um, and then I know, I know people yeah. that, uh, they've been, they've been hunting their entire life and they're the first 120 inch deer walks out there is getting it. They don't care what age he is. And I think that's okay either way. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as we're having fun. Okay, that's right. That yeah. is right. All right. Well, let's uh, let's shift gears. So that was Tennessee, and then you're headed to Kentucky, right? Yeah. Yep. Kentucky. Um, the goal with Kentucky isn't to because sh- Tennessee is going to be just get it done. Uh, Kentucky is going to be let's try to shoot a bigger one. Um, but I do not have mm-hmm. any plans to go back. Um, so. That one's just fifty-fifty. Um, again, won't shoot anything unless it's mature. Um, and yeah, I killed a hundred, and I think that ten-pointer I, I killed was like one thirty-seven or one thirty-eight last year. Uh, so solid deer, but mature buck. Um, they knew him from years past. Um, had a really, excuse me, had a really strong right side, and then a weaker left side. But yeah, I would. Uh, I'd like to shoot. You know, um, just something that's really pretty. Um, I think they're awesome, you know, when they're in velvet. So we'll see. Um, haven't put much thought into it. Kind of been really focused on the Tennessee stuff and then getting ready for Wyoming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Um, so you said you, you mentioned farm ground and, and beans and stuff. Are there, do you know, are there going to be beans and corn? Is it all beans? You got any idea? Uh, no, it's beans and corn. Uh, it kind of surrounds the property, and then this timber's in the middle. Um, but there's drainages that they funnel down and use to get down in bed. Um, and mm-hmm. my my thoughts are that they're using those drainages. That way the thermals, you know, will suck the wind down too, even with, you know, a different wind. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. Um They'll be able, they're, they're just a little more safe there, but then if anything comes in there, they're going to hear it or see it by the time it gets there. So I'm hunting the edges of that. Um, I've had a, 
a buddy of mine. He's uh, he's the one who's got me in on it. So we're not going in near as blind on this, but I don't have a good inventory on the deer because a lot of them are still in the corn. So I'm really hoping that we'll get lucky and they'll cut some, but I doubt they do. So, yep. Yeah. We, uh, we'll be hunting over corn, corn piles there. Um, so we'll be baiting there for sure. Can't do it in Tennessee, so we won't be doing any of that, but, um, we're going to see what we can, what we can put together there. I'm actually kind of excited to go hunt some deer with no names and just no history. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun both ways. Um, but I know what you mean. That, that mystery that you kind of don't get when you own your own ground anymore or, you know, or lease whatever, just when you hunt the same place, uh, you lose a lot of that mystery. Yeah, the whole so, I'll tell you. Yeah. What, yeah. 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 I'll tell you one thing that I learned last year when I was hunting Nebraska. So one thing, like right when I got there, it seems like, it seemed like all the crops were backwards. Like, Everywhere I wanted to be beans was corn, and everywhere I wanted to be corns was beans. So I'm very excited about this year because you know they'll probably right. be flipped. Um, but uh, you know when I when I left my house last year, I thought I had this one like 110 acre place to hunt. Once I got up there, I discovered they also owned this other place, and I I learned that all they had to do was like call their neighbor, and I could get access on their neighbor's place. So now I have a lot more ground to hunt. But I remember I found this one little section that I set up and hunted the first evening. And it was like a kind of a secluded bean field. I'm going to say it was like six acres, trees most of the way around it with a creek. And I was like, oh, man, like this is the spot. But what I kind of discovered that evening after I got set up was those beans had already turned. They were all yellow. And a lot of the bigger fields were still very green. And so I, I did see a few deer that evening. I think I saw two or three does, something like that. Um, but the spot basically just didn't wind up being quite as good because I just didn't pay attention to kind of those finer yep. details. Um, so that's one thing I'm really, you know, I've just from last year, like I'm going to be paying attention to this year. So, um, I guess what I'm kind of getting at is like, how do those crops, like you mentioned the finger ridges and that sounds awesome, but, um, are you going to be focusing like, okay, here's green beans. That's where I need to be. Or is it going to be like, Hey, they could still be bedding in this corn. That's where I need to be. How are you just kind of sorting through where you're actually going to set up. Yeah. Now I'm going to focus on the beans cause I don't think I can kill them on the corn. Um, just with, from what I've seen on the maps, um, and what we've, the, what we've seen in Kentucky, um, between the two. Uh, so we're going to be focused on the green beans and the green sections. What, like you mentioned, you said the bigger field, you know, was still green. Uh, I'm going to be going after green beans for sure. It's kind of funny to say it like that, but mm-hmm. What, I, I know. <laughs> what I've noticed is that a lot of times the center of the fields will still be green or have some green in it, um, which that's where you've got to be in the right spot. you got to get a little bit lucky to catch, make sure they're not changing their bedding areas. And that's why normally I would spend some time scouting, right, just glassing because you can get so you can get a lot from trail cameras, but you can get more from glassing and actually putting boots on the ground. And – that is figuring out their primary bedding areas and then their secondary bedding areas. So, and what I mean by that is like, there will be spots where as the food source changes, it's where do they go next? Well, that's hard to find out doing what I'm doing with these, these two trips, but here at the house, 
you know, and, and this year we're going to, I'm going to hunt some public land just because I know of a couple giants um, that are living on some public land. I filmed one not too long ago. It was a stud, but um, that's what I'm focusing in on there because the primary bedding, that's great, right? But we all know it's public land um, and even private, you're going to get some pressure. Um, so the first time they get pressure, where does that buck go next? And that's where, unfortunately, you know, you just kind of, you've got to work through that. You got to have things go wrong and then you've got to be able to locate that deer again. Sometimes that's uh, 200 yards. Sometimes that's two miles. Um, and mm-hmm. it's just, you've got to, you've got to use what's given to you to be able to, you know, put a plan together. Um, out there, I'm going to focus on green, anything that's green. Um, if I have to hunt the corn, I do think that the odds are going to be less in my favor. Um, and I just, because a deer can stand out there 50 yards away in the corn and I'll see his antler tips maybe. Um, but if they stand out mm-hmm. there at a really good distance in the beans, I can still kill them. Um, so that's the other thing is just, I mean, I've been able over the years, I've been able to maximize my, my distance, right. So that I feel confident in harvesting an animal. Um, and I understand that's different than others, but that's their limits, not mine. And yeah, I'm pretty confident that I can get, you know, as let's say we can get it within a hundred yards of a feeding animal, feeding deer, like we'll be able to do that and seal the deal. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. This is uh, still on topic, maybe a little uh, off of what we were just talking about. But earlier, uh, you mentioned, you know, maybe being able to hunt velvet here in Oklahoma. And uh, before we shift gears to the mule deer, I wanted to touch on that just a little bit. Because that's something I I covered kind of hot and heavy this spring when they first announced the idea and everything. But I haven't thought about it in a a few weeks. And I was just kind of curious your opinion on it. Um, You know, when it came out, you heard a lot of people like, oh, well, like, let's do residents only or, uh, you know, let's limit or this or that. But, you know, to me, I think a big part of the reason they were wanting to do it was to get that non-resident money um, and, you know, let people hunt more and everything like that. So I was just kind of curious if you had any thoughts on it. Like, do you think it should just be you buy a tag like you always have and you get it? Should it be a draw tag? Should they try to limit non-residents? I was just curious your thoughts so on that. So I have two things, but I'm, I'm going to start by asking you a question. As an Oklahoma mm-hmm. resident, what do you get that a non-resident doesn't? What's the perk for being a resident? Pretty much just a discount. I think that's yeah, about it. Yeah, but as you buy all your tags, I mean, how much of a discount? Um, it's a yeah. great question. I, uh, I think uh, – I mean, I, I see I have a lifetime yeah. license, and so it's kind of hard for me. But I, I believe a deer tag is, what, 20 yeah, bucks? Yeah, so let's say – and I think it's like. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, the so you no, you, you get twenty dollars tags, right, for each tag. Um, your hunting license. So let's say you kill your six deer. Um, your, you know, math is hard for a lot of people, especially for me after working <laughs> all day. Uh, but if I pay twenty dollars for yeah. six deer, what am I? One hundred twenty bucks. All right, and then my yep. hunting license. Let's say that's another twenty bucks. I'm one hundred forty. Um, so fit more than 50% off because a non-resident, my dad comes up and mm-hmm. he can kill the same amount of deer that I can for $300. Uh, mm-hmm. can you do that in Iowa? 
No, and you no. got to earn it. You paid them mm-hmm. five times yeah. for the just the mm-hmm. chance to draw that tag. Um, so I, yeah. without us going down a rabbit hole and getting on my soapbox, uh, <laughs> no, uh-huh. I do not think it should be available to everybody um, and at the same price that it currently is. Um, I think you've got to look at mm-hmm. changing some things. I don't know the answer. Because there's so many different yeah. variables. I'm not going to sit here and act like I do know the answer. Do I have suggestions or some I wishes or I likes? Sure. Uh, but what I do know mm-hmm. is that as residents, that's not enough, dude. That's not – it's just not mm-hmm. – I mean, I know the world's not fair. But, man, that's – how are you rewarding the residents here? The ones paying our taxes yeah. year in, year in, out, year out, um, all of that. Mm-hmm. I just don't agree with it. Um I think yeah. that we have an opportunity to make a lot of money off of the non-residents that come in. I want them to come in. I want to see them, you know, at the local diners, you know, around town. I mean, I almost like the place I hunt in Northwest Oklahoma. I almost feel like I'm that guy because I know I'm bringing my money and I'm going to eat at the little diner there in Visay, Oklahoma, where it's me and six other people. And that's it. Um, I want to have that money coming up from, well, and I'll just be honest with you, it's Texas, the majority. I'm I'm sure there's other data out there that supports it to other states, but Lord have mercy, there's Texas trucks everywhere in northwest Oklahoma. Um, so I do think we have an opportunity to make a lot of money there um, and benefit the residents. Um, whether we look at that and we say, okay, that's archery only. So uh, maybe, you know, we can get into the crossbow scenario that gets pretty passionate or, you know, even if they, I mean, if I say archery only and I say no crossbows, well, I've got to be willing to say, all right, well, archery only, why not traditional bows only wood arrows only. Right. So I can't, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, I can't be you know, a hypocrite here. Um, But I do know Mm -hmm. there's a way that we can make some money increase like increase their the tag costs. They're not going to not pay because they're already leasing <laughs> up so much land, right? They're mm-hmm. not going to not, not pay. Yeah. And half of them come up, and, I mean, now that you can shoot with a crossbow, they just treat that as two rifle seasons. Um, I don't know if you've shot a, mm-hmm. a high-end crossbow lately, but it's a, it's a cross gun is what we call it. Um, yeah. one of the companies mm-hmm. I shoot for makes a crossbow that it's insane what you could do. My son can go out here right now and shoot one inch groups with it at a hundred yards and, and it's quiet. Mm-hmm. So there's like, there's no chance. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. so there's a lot there. Um, I do have a prediction mm-hmm. on it though. Uh, the first season we have it, there are going to be some absolute mega giants killed hands down. And the first year, yeah. no doubt about it. And it's going to be a highly successful uh, season, regardless of temperature or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's almost it's almost easy um, when it's that yeah. early. It's fun. I want the other option. Um, I think as a resident, we should have it. I don't know if we say, hey, then we shut it down to non-residents. Um, but I do know if we shut it down to non-residents, they're not going to sit there and say, oh, well, I'm not going to spend the tag or the money. Now, yeah. I don't know the full details on it, um, but 
I can tell you this. It doesn't feel like we've got it right. There's a lot yeah. of, I mean, there's too much conversation yeah. about it, right? If we did have it right, it'd probably be pretty mm-hmm. quiet. So we don't. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I have all kinds of thoughts on it too. Uh, first, I, I agree with your prediction, uh, but with a caveat, I, I do think there'd be a lot of giants killed. I also think there would be a ton of young deer killed just for yep. what we were just talking about a minute ago, like that. Oh, your first yep. velvet buck. Um, so I think there'd be a lot of people being a lot more trigger happy. Um, I do think you'd have to put a one buck limit on that season. You know, not overall, you can still have two buck tags, but just only one during the velvet yeah, season. I, and I, no, I think I could get behind that for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I'm very torn on the non-resident thing because like when I first read, you know, the article, you know, the first thing they listed was all the revenue it could generate, which our state could definitely yeah. use. Um, and so I hate to say, you know, you cut it off to non-residents cause that's, that's where a lot of the revenue would come from. I think, um, I, I think the, maybe not the solution, you know, I think you're still gonna have a lot of deer killed. still gonna have a lot of least least up land and everything, but I do think you need to do a price increase. And I think that's for both residents and non-residents. Um, you know, I'd pay, I'd pay a hundred bucks for a velvet tag and maybe that's not something I do every year. Um, but you know, every other year, something like that, like I'd pay a hundred bucks for a velvet tag and same thing for non-red, you know, whatever that price breakdown be, you know, charge a little extra for it. Um, even if it's like a completely separate deal. So like, I think, uh, yeah, non-resident license, I think is now $300 and that's for one weapon. You know, you have to buy multiple deals for multiple weapons or whatever, but make that velvet season its own $300 deal or whatever. And like you, if you buy it, you just get to hunt that velvet season and you got to buy an additional one for the rest of the year or whatever. Um, so lots of moving parts. Um, I think it'd be awesome. Uh, may I, I will say I've said this every time I've talked about it. I can't imagine sitting in a tree stand, you know, in southeastern Oklahoma here in you know the next couple of weeks uh, waiting on a big old buck. It would be miserable, but it would be awesome at the same time. Well, that, so, so yeah, I, I didn't I I didn't mean to get us off on too much of a tangent, but I was I was just curious and I hadn't covered yeah, it in this a while. Is the stuff that like whenever I'm shooting indoor archery or we're on the 3D range or anything like that, we start talking. It's like this is where it goes, and it's fun to talk about. Uh, it is, mm-hmm. but there's a lot and most, I and mean, I'll just say most so far that are on the same page with us as far as saying, well, something mm-hmm. can be done. Like we could change something. Right. Yeah. And look, maybe we settle and say, all right, the first time we are going to, that's what it's going to be. Um, I do think that mm-hmm. you open when I just think of business, right. And that's what we need to mm-hmm. do is we need to generate money. Um, I've mm-hmm. got a buddy that works for the ODWC. Um, you could never bring him on here because he'd probably lose his job. But <laughs> he, uh, uh, he's he got great info. I mean, for instance, like we'll never get any of this stuff looked at because the le- legislature won't entertain it because of the taxing brackets and where, how everything's taxed. They're not getting any money off of that. So why would they spend time looking mm-hmm. at changing that? And that's where – you know, I don't care if you want to kill, you know, spikes, 130-inch deer, 150s, or 200-inch deer. We all need to get on the same page with this and, and actually get some attention on it. Um, and that's and that's just what it's going to take for all of us to get um, organized and, you know, put our voice as much as we can together and have one voice with this and move forward. Um, 
But until they find a way to make money off of it, they're just going to, no, no, we're not looking at it. So, and unfortunately, those are the those are the guys we yeah. voted in, or well, most, yeah, <laughs> most of them. But um, so yeah, there's that, dude. But all in all, I'm excited to be able to hunt velvet deer in Oklahoma. I think most people are. Will it be miserable? Sure, but you know what? It should be miserable because uh, that must, that's what makes it worth it. We got to suffer a little bit to really, yeah. you know, appreciate it and enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. I'll figure out some way to get a uh, battery pack and a little window unit going <laughs> in a blind or something like that. Make it maybe make yeah. it barrel. Yeah. Uh, that's that, that's real hunting, you know, when you got an AC unit in your blind yeah. with you for those early season that's hunts. One, but, that's, uh, that's one thing though, that people don't yeah. think of. Like, forget the AC, but mosquitoes. With the rain, with the mm-hmm. rain we've had. The mosquitoes are so bad. When I was out there filming the other night, uh, I guess it's been a couple weeks, It that was the worst mosquitoes I've ever experienced in Oklahoma. And normally I don't have them that bad on this farm. And, dude, yeah, I would have to buy stock in Thermosel. Like, that's I'd have to have, <laughs> I'd have to run like yeah. three or four of them, just me. It's not – Kentucky last mm-hmm. year, we – both of our Thermocells, mine and my cameraman, he – we ran out within like 15 minutes of each other, ran out of juice, and we didn't mm. have any. Gosh. And it was like a light switch. Immediately, they rot us. It was mm. nuts. Mm. But, but yeah, it was worth it. All worth it. Yeah, good, good. All right, we got a couple minutes here, and we got one more state to cover. So uh, tell us a little bit more about this uh, mule deer hunt. Um, I'm, I'm going to assume that's kind of open plains yeah, country. Yeah, so uh, it's going to be some prairie ground. Um, but, um, dude, I'm so excited. I've watched this. So it's going to be with uh, Bighorn Outfitters up in Wyoming. Um, for anybody that watches, like, Bow Life or any other shows, uh, Bow Life, Levi and his, his brother Micah go up there and just have some amazing hunts just year after year after year. And with Dustin DeCrew and Bighorn Outfitters and Dustin, I actually met years ago because he used to live in Oklahoma. And when I talked to him a couple weeks ago, he told me that he just actually sold a property he had here in Norman recently. So he still had ties back to Oklahoma. Mm. But I know he's got several guys from Oklahoma that will go up and hunt with him. Um, so that's why it's been on my radar is ever since he went up there. And then now, you know, he's a, a, he's either the full owner or part owner. Um, but he's just got an operation put together. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to be successful and it's, it's awesome. I can't wait. Um, uh, but we get up there, um, chance at some velvet mule deer is probably there. Um, but yeah, we're going to be doing a lot of glassing from the truck, uh, a lot of walking, a lot of glassing, um, and just looking for, you know, the right bucks, but I guess the more importantly, the right bucks in the right spots. And that's it. We tried to draw the combo and do that with the pronghorn mule deer combo. But uh, with the winter mm-hmm. kill they got this year, they drastically reduced the pronghorn tags. And none of <clears throat> nobody drew a pronghorn tag. Um, so that's, yeah. that's unfortunate, but it sounds like it's the right call. Um, so the mule deer where we're at, from what I've heard, from everything I've talked to, the antler growth is good population looks good i know they did have some winter kill there but um yeah man i'm i'm fired up fired up 
Yeah, man, you're definitely going to have to keep me posted and maybe I can find a time to squeeze you in sometime when you get back and, and go through all the adventures. Absolutely. But, um, I have, I have had mule deer on my mind lately. Um, I had me and my buddy that I went on the elk hunt with last year. We saw some dang good mule deer where we were at and we discovered that we both have enough points to draw that uh-huh. unit. Um, so we're kind of kicking that around for next year. Um, Obviously, Oklahoma mule deer is still on my bucket list, just like most people, but I live on the wrong side of the state yeah. for that. Um, and uh, so, yeah, but I, yeah, I, I think so. This year, I'm calling it the year of the whitetail because I'm hunting four states all for whitetail, not doing any elk or anything like that. Um, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe doing year of the mule deer next year. Uh, we'll, we'll see how that plays nice. out. Nice. That's going to be fun. I, uh, yeah, mine's, uh, so we're going to, get the mule deer in there my buddy hunter hogan and i have talked about doing oklahoma mule deer on public land just public and only mm-hmm. um, we could get it done and i think that's what we're going to do because eventually i would love to be able to harvest an oklahoma elk you know or get the whitetail mm-hmm. mule deer and a black bear i think that would be awesome to have like a, almost like an oklahoma slam yeah. if you will yeah. Oklahoma slam. Yeah. That's right. But, uh, yeah. yeah, we're doing so the early season whitetail stuff, the mule deer, and then Oklahoma will have the the whitetail rolling. Uh, got a couple deer that I've found that I would be insanely happy with. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to ask uh, for me. You know, where we're at, we're still way behind on annual rainfall. I don't know how. I know Central Oklahoma has been a little better as of late. Um, but uh but this spring we did have like extremely well timed rains and so you know we'd get a half inch 5 days later we'd get 3 quarters of an inch 10 days later we'd get 2 inches you know so it was just like very well timed out so we we really had a pretty green spring even though we were still technically like behind on rain um but from what i've seen so f- so far this year it has been an awesome antler growing year and uh, I actually made a prediction, I think, last week. Um, like, muzzleloader season is a little later this year. It starts, I think, October 28th and goes till like, November 5th, something like that. So I actually kind of made a, an early prediction that I, I think there's a good chance that the muzzleloader state record could be broken this year from what I've seen so far. Um, but I'm curious, from your part of the state and what you've seen, do you, would you say, would you agree that it's been a really good antler year? So, yes. I think overall, yes. Um, just with all the deer pictures that I've seen and the deer I've seen and then Buddy sending me to say, like, what do you think? Um, I think by now you get a good idea of how good the growth is. Um, a few deer that I saw earlier on this year from my buddy, he knows who I'm talking about. Um, he had a deer that must have dropped his antlers like the 1st of December because three hmm. months ago that deer was a giant. Like already. And now, you know, he's basically finished out. His points are pointed off. Like he's done. He's tightening up with his velvet. Um, he's still a freaking giant. Um, but I could see that. I could see this is one of those things, dude, if we had the velvet season this year, who knows out there? I mean, we've all seen, I saw the, what the Julian buck is circulating again, that big giant mainframe six pointer ended up scoring like two sixteen gross or net. I don't even remember. But I think that was like back in 2016. But I, uh, yeah, I would say our antler growth is 
solid for sure. I personally have a buck um, that I have his shed to, and I'd say that deer put on every bit of 30 inches. Yeah, wow. and that's that's a lot for us uh, in this mm-hmm. farm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say it's uh, it's been a pretty good one. I always love watching them grow the month of July because they it's like every time you open up your camera or your pictures or your laptop, it's like, oh my gosh, like they're bigger, they're bigger, they're bigger. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's crazy yeah. how fast some deer catch up to everybody. You know, and it's mm-hmm. I had that happen. There's there's two bucks that uh, I think one's four and one's five, and I get pictures of them pretty much every night. And when I first started getting pictures of them, there was one of them, actually the one that I think is going to be my main target this year. Uh, I thought he was going to be some kind of crappy eight, kind of like we were talking about, you know, an older 120s type eight, and I've killed a bunch of those too. Um, but all of a sudden, yeah, late July came, and he flipped a switch, and he's like a pretty dang good-looking 10-point. Oh, yeah. Now. Yep, I'm not shocked. Um, the deer I'm saying put on 30 inches actually lost his extras. Um, that he had last year, but dude, his main beams, his time length, just mass, everything. He's, he got, I mean, he's probably four inches wider. Um, pretty impressive, but yeah, as far as the deer I'm targeting here in Oklahoma, um, I've got a couple five-year-olds, uh, two for sure. And then I have the one that all my buddies know him as the white eight. Uh, I think we finally put a name on him for Joker. That's his name because he's a wide joker. Uh, that deer, he's <laughs> all width. Um, he's got like six-inch G2s. I mean, his brow tines are probably six inches, but his G2s are six inches, and then his G3s are like two. And it's all main beams, yeah. all main beams yeah. and width. But that deer is eight years old. I've got, I've got four sets of sheds off of him, and I didn't find two years worth. So cool buck mm. but that's one i'm going to try to get my boy or my wife on um i think that'd be a really good one so but yeah i'm excited yeah. for it man yeah uh it's going to be good one thing mm. i was going to touch on i know we're running that's... out of time um but you know with wyoming i think it's important that you know we're talking hunting that people think about their setups and it seems like it's been a hot topic you know the last couple of years it's been getting momentum um but dude i've been testing out this these this new setup uh, because what i'm after i talked about you know shooting deer um my limits aren't everybody else's limits their their limits are mine right um as far as how mm-hmm. far i feel comfortable shooting an animal um but the new and like dude the new schwacker lrp system long range precision system is unbelievable I've been telling everybody about it just with my testing. Um, it's extremely, extremely strong. But if you're like, let's say you're comfortable at 40 yards, these are going to, they're so freaking accurate that it's unbelievable. And they have practice heads that are full length of the broadhead that you can screw on and screw off. So you don't have to worry about doling anything. Um, amazing, amazing broadhead system that. Um, I'm surprised somebody hasn't thought of it sooner because it's unbelievable, but that's what I'm excited about. That's what's given me even more confidence to air one out if I need to. Yeah. I just, just Google them looking at it right now. 
pretty sweet oh, looking. Yeah. yeah, you can order them custom. You can get the whole arrows built, and they'll clock your broadheads with your veins, however you want them. Whether you want it three and twelve, or three and nine, or twelve and six, like, dude, they're amazing. I've got one right now. I'm spinning in my hand. <laughs> nice. Well, hopefully, you get to throw that sucker to whitetail here uh, really, really soon, and. Man, it, uh, it yeah, it's going to be here. Even if you're not hunting early season whitetails, it's going to be here really quickly. Oh, yeah. So, so yeah. Well, Chris, man, I appreciate it. I love having you on. And like I said, uh, knock down a couple deer, and maybe we'll get to do this again in a month or two and uh, and hear about all the stories. I look forward to it, man. Good luck in Nebraska. I hope you, uh, hope you accidentally shoot a giant. That's kind of what I'm hoping to. That's what I'm hoping to. All righty, man. Well, we will talk to you later, and I appreciate you coming on. All right, buddy. All right, guys. That's it for this week. If you're wanting a little bit more, I think I mentioned this at the beginning, but if you're wanting to follow along for real, y'all need to be following me on Instagram because I'll be posting a lot of stories, a lot of updates, um, strategy, and stuff like that. So, I mean, really for the whole entire hunting season, um, but, you know, specifically for this trip. So, so yeah, hit me up on Instagram. I've been getting a lot more uh, messages and everything as we're getting closer to season. I love that stuff. I'm always, always willing to help. Um, I've had a lot of people, you know, message me and have questions and everything, and they're usually pleasantly surprised by not just not just the fact that I answer, but how I answer. And so, like I said, if you have a question, that's part of the reason I do this is I just enjoy teaching people, helping people in any way that I can. So that's going to do it for this week. Thank you guys so much for supporting this podcast. Hunting season is upon us, which means this podcast is just going to get even better. So thank you guys so much for listening. And until next week, I will see y'all right back here on the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast. You have the right to the best wireless service. Bravado Wireless provides the best mobile wireless, high-speed internet, latest devices, and customer service at prices you feel good about. Bravado Wireless strives to put these values first and offer you the best wireless service available. See what they have to offer at bravadowireless.com or one of their retail locations in eastern Oklahoma. Let Bravado Wireless connect you to your family, friends, and business partners all over the world. Bravado Wireless, the power of connection.